Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Well, we are in week three of our sermon series entitled, You Asked for It. And just by show of hands, how many of you have gleaned something new out of the last couple of weeks? Okay, some of you, many of you. Um, we've been having some discussion on some, some topics like 9 to 5 work week and redeeming the workplace or the work week. Uh, then we talked about how money matters as well. And today we're going to talk about sex and relationships with God's help. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Genesis chapter 2 and stand with me as we prepare to read God's word? Genesis chapter 2, right in the beginning. And we'll begin reading at verse 18. If you're there, shout amen. Okay, that's like three people. So we'll just, if you're reading it on the screen, shout amen. Okay, maybe that's why. All right, so chapter 2, beginning at verse 18, and here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone. And flesh from my flesh, she will be called woman, because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. As we quickly dive into it and then move on to discussion on the questions, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds. I pray that, Lord, wisdom and truth from your word would be shared and applied to every heart this morning on this specific topic of relationships and how important they are. So, God, we thank you for this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And this morning we're going to be looking at relationships. And it's important to always go back to the source of something. iPhone, they, they recently announced iPhone well, 8, 8 Plus, but then iPhone 10, which I'm excited about. One day I hope to have one. Um, not anytime soon, my wife told me. So that's okay. But in order for someone to really appreciate how far iPhone has come in 10 years... You need to go back to the source, to when Steve Jobs first took the stage and first talked about this new device that merged internet, phone, and music into one device. 
And it was groundbreaking because it never existed before. He basically created something that we never knew we actually needed. And that's the genius of Steve Jobs and the iPhone. And, and I, love, I love it, by the way. In case you didn't know, that's my go-to example. Apple and Steve Jobs and, and the iPhone. So, likewise, when we're talking about relationships today, it's important for us not to start with what we know about relationships, while a lot of us probably have a, a lot of what we would call knowledge on the subject. Why? Well, because we see it in TV shows, movies, uh, books, novels, romances, whatever means media is the biggest one. And they're quick to tell you what to do and how to do it. And I think back even to uh, Ashley Madison and how there, it was a website specifically created for people who wanted to have affairs. And then there came a password breach where they said, oh, all your information was leaked to hackers. Where And then people actually began committing suicide for fear that their name would now be exposed. I don't even want to get into who may have had their name in there in, in, that we would know as a public figure or whatnot. Relationships. We don't look to society. We don't look to media. We don't look to movies. And you might say, well, of course not. But there's a whole generation of people who grow up taking what they're watching on TV and applying it to real life. And that's not the way we are to go about our relationships with people. Society today tells us, if it feels good, do it. If you don't like the person, find somebody else that you will like. And well, after a while, if that doesn't work, move on to someone else. And that's not God's design or His intent for us. So it's important that we look back to the original purpose and design God's intended design. And that's why we started in Genesis 2 this morning. It was actually God who said, it is not good for man to be alone. Did you know that? It wasn't Adam's idea to have a suitable helper in life. It was God's doing. He said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper. The funny part is, the very next verse says, well, then he began to create all these wild animals. But it's interesting that it was Adam's job to, to actually name them. Did you catch that in Scripture? And Adam, God was waiting, the Bible says, for, for him to name all of them. And at the end of this whole exercise, he still didn't have a suitable helper, the Scripture says. And so, verses 21 and 22 that we read, goes on to explain then how God... Caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep, removed one of his ribs, created woman, and then we have woman. But notice that God referred to her as woman, but when Adam woke up, he goes, now this makes sense. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I shall call her woman. And I believe that God was waiting for Adam to call Something that God made, woman, because this is his suitable helper. And now God said, he's got it now. He has what he needs. And then verse 24 goes on to tell us, And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two become one. The, the picture is, uh, now a man and a woman become a husband and a wife, 
and then they start a family, and the two become one in their children. And when I look at Josiah and Abigail and my son Nathan at the back now, I look at him, I go, wow, Priscilla, like you and I two became one. We have a child who represents our has our genes. Apparently he has my looks, which is a good thing. And, uh, and everyone's happy. <laughs> Maybe except for my wife. Joke. But two become one. This is God's idea of relationship. This is God's design for the family. And so when we want to get our definition, and as Christians, it's actually very simple. Because you could go into a lot of debates and kind of be stumped. Because when it comes to opinion, I mean, opinions change every single day. But when as Christians, we get into those kind of discussions... It actually becomes very simple, my, where I stand, the Word of God. And this is my answer. This is how I, where I base my answer from on, on topics. God does not change. Can I get an amen? Or am I the only one that believes that this morning? God does not change, and as far as I know, this Word has not changed. And in Hebrews, it tells us His Word is alive and active, even now. So it's not an outdated book, but it's actually relevant. And it cuts straight through bone and marrow, the Bible says in Hebrews, to the core, essentially, of who I am. And it exposes me for who I am. The truth of God's Word is a sword that we use. And, and we fight our battles with God's Word, but also it's our roadmap for living. It's our roadmap for life. And so that's why this whole series... We've started in the Word, and then we're going to get to, to the panel in just a moment. But I just want to say a few things about relationship. Number one, relationship was God's idea. Not man's, not yours, not mine. It was God's idea. That's why, when I reached a certain age, I had a, a desire to find a girlfriend. Not because, maybe in high school, because everyone else was having a girlfriend. But I know when I met Priscilla, I said... I found a suitable helper for life. And I was designed, and she was designed, like with this magnetic attraction and desire. Relationship was God's idea. So, number one, the relationship is between God and man, or God and His people. God and His people. Genesis 3, verse 8 and 9, tells us that when Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, they felt the shame and the guilt of their disobedience. And it said that they took fig leaves and sewed kind of like this little covering because they were now aware of their nakedness. Our last verse we read in chapter 2 said that they weren't aware of their nakedness. There was a purity there. But after the fall, after the sin, then there was this awareness of, I need to cover up. And it says that they hid from God in the garden. And here's the relationship that God desires to have with His people, with, with you and with me even today. God, in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 3, goes looking for Adam and Eve. And He's calling out, saying, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? What does that tell you and tell me today? God wants relationship with His, His people. God wants to be connected with you. And the problem is sin. 
And that's why, fast forwarding to the New Testament, he sent Jesus to eradicate the sin problem in us that we could be made right through Christ and that we can live in a right relationship with God the Father. Do you see that? And I want you to sense God's heart for relationship. He could have created the world and just said, there you go, everything I made is good because I said it was good, but now you can just enjoy it and I'm just going to go do my own thing. No, when Adam and Eve sinned, God said, this is not good. Adam, where are you? Where are you? And he had to, to call him out from his hiding. That's God's heart. And I want you to know today, you could be in church, but still hiding from God. But he's still calling to you. And he's still saying, where are you? I'm here. And I desire relationship with you. And so that's between God and man, or God and his people, his creation. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.18 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If God wasn't so concerned about having this relationship, think about it, he would have never sent Jesus to die on the cross. He would have said, yes, I know, I'm fully aware of the problem of sin, but eh, what do you want to do about it? But it bothered God to the point where he said, I need to step in. And send my one and only son. For God so loved the world, everyone in it, that he gave his one and only son. That's, that's the father's love for you and for me today. And so God desires this relationship. It's not only Old Testament, it's New Testament and it's today. Because it continues and it goes on and on. And one day Jesus is going to come again for his church. And we are the bride of Christ, the Bible tells us. And we need to be ready for that relationship. And so God designed you and me for relationship, number one, with Him. And then number two, with people. With people. When we talk about intimacy, it's a man and a woman. Because that's how God designed it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 in the NIV says this. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does righteousness and, and darkness have in common? Or what fellowship, excuse me, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Do not be unequally yoked. So God's plan for, for us in, in, a, in a husband and wife context is between a man and a woman. The schools, by the way, and even possibly this school we're standing in, will teach different things. Like two fathers is normal now. And in fact, you don't even need to go to school. If I leave the TV and my son unattended long enough, every, almost every single commercial now that has people in it, you will see all these different types of families and they will slip in um, two fathers or two mothers. And our children are growing up thinking that this is okay. How many of you know that Romans chapter 12 is an important verse 1 and 2 for us? For it tells us that we should not copy the patterns and the behaviors of this world. But we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Do you know how you can renew your mind? With the word of God. With worship. You get in God's presence and you allow his word to wash you. And to wash your mind. Now we're going to get to some discussion soon. 
But it's important to note that we are to love every single person, whether they identify as being straight or gay. And we're going to probably get into that with some of the questions that will come. But I just want to state our position as a church, as a Bible-believing church, is that we don't condone any sin. We don't support any type of sin. Whether it is the sin or the practice of homosexuality, gambling, cheating, lying, adulterous relationships, it is all classified as sin. And we are not to love sin, but we love people. And people, unfortunately, sin. But that's why Jesus came. That we might know His grace and His love and be set free from those things that will enslave us. And either sin will get rid of you, or you can get rid of sin. And you can only do that by the power of the cross. So, we love every single person. We do. And I'm, I'm saying as the pastor of our church, under God, that we love everyone. God so loved the world. But we don't like sin. And sin is a problem, but we have the remedy, and His name is Jesus. So, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And, and this is an important thing to understand. And you could take it as husband and wife, or in relationship, in friends. Why? Well, because there's always going to be a pull in one way or in the other sense. And I often use the example of language. So I speak two languages, let's say, English and French. And if the person I'm with only speaks English, which language is going to get better in my vocabulary and in the practice of speaking it? English, right? If the person I'm with only speaks English, English is going to improve and I'll be really good with that. And the French that I once knew and was able to speak is going to dwindle away. And it's a true story. I grew up in Montreal and now when I go back there, I'm like, hamburger? And I try to speak French, and sometimes it works, and it comes out easily, and sometimes it doesn't. But you will lose the French. In the same way, we are flesh and spirit as believers. We have the Holy Spirit of God, but I still have Jonathan. Now, in the New Testament, it actually does say that I'm crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So technically, I'm actually dead to the old me, which is the flesh, and I'm alive in the Spirit and in Christ. So that should be my emphasis. But when I'm yoked to an unbeliever, what happens is that they don't have the Spirit of the living God. So what I'm going to be proficient in is the flesh. And in the, in the duties of the flesh... And my spirit man is going to starve and crumble. So it's important today to remember that when we talk relationships, um, yes, it is saved or not saved, Christian or non-Christian. But I also want to just say one more thing before I introduce our panel. And it is this. There's also something that I look at, which is, are we of like faith? What do I mean by that is the level of faith. Because... If I have great faith in God, and I, I'm here, and I sing those words, and I mean it with my whole heart, but I have someone, in, let's say I'm partnering with, who doesn't have that same level of faith, and this is just my heart, this is how I look at it myself, is that I'm going to spend a lot of effort and energy trying to elevate this person's faith to finally get to my level, but in the process, I've stopped moving forward 
And I'm going to become stagnant because my, my energy is focused on doing the work of lifting. And I don't know if that makes sense for some of you. Um, but, but for me, I look at it in that sense. Are we of the same level of faith that we can do this together? As a pastor, God, I always say it, brought me Priscilla because I'm bad at picking. I didn't have that many girlfriends, but they didn't all work out. But when I saw Priscilla, I knew she was the, the right one. And God told me, get ready. This is going to be for a lifetime. That was the phrase that he gave me. And I looked at her and I was like, the immensity of that revelation felt like a ton of bricks was just laid on me. And she had no clue what God just did when I was looking at her. And I say all that to say, if we weren't of like faith, the work of ministry would, would be very hard. But I have a wife who's able to stand at the back with three kids all sweating and saying, Mommy, Mommy. And I'm up here because we are of like faith on the same level. And she says, I release you to do what God has called you to do to lead our church. And here I stand. And there she stands at the back with, with the baby. And so today, relationship is so crucial. And I'm going to stress it again. It's important that we base our view and our, our thoughts and our opinion on the scriptures. Of, and this is our foundation. So real quick, God designed us to live in a relationship with Him and with one another. The church is by design a living organism and it functions as one body, many parts. It's the same way with one another in the family of God. We are designed to live in relationship. That's why doing life together is important. You might say, why is it important that I come to church on Sunday when I could listen to the podcast Monday? Relationship. It's something that you cannot receive with social media. I mean, sure you can text, sure you can tweet one another and send d direct messages, but you lose out on the value of relationship. There's no shoulder to cry on, there's just a finger to text a message to on the screen. Relationships are central to life and church life, and yet it is an area that we often struggle with so much. And I just want to give you two scenarios, and I know I've taken a long time to intro this, but it's important. Spencer's looking at me. He's our moderator for our discussion. Two people that I want to introduce to you, not the panel guests this morning, but two people. Carrie grew up with her dad, but without experiencing love from her father. He was there, but not loving her. As a result, early on in high school, she sought the attention of guys, would often go to any length for them to show her love, what she thought was love. After several abortions later, she suffers with heavy guilt and the lonely reality of being abandoned by one man after the next. John, on the other hand, grew up in a loving Christian home. In grade school, he was always made fun of and he had no friends. High school proved to be an even greater challenge as thoughts of suicide often flooded his mind. Upon graduating, John decided that Bible school was a much safer environment to hide out for a few more years in hopes that things would change. After three years there, John did find a few new friends, but he dropped out because he knew he wasn't going to be a pastor anyway. John eventually found a job, and the people there would eventually introduce him to the LGBTQ community or lifestyle. John now goes by the name of Jenny and has a boyfriend. See, though we crave relationship, 
we often spend much of our lives chasing after an idea of who we think we are instead of just being who God created us to be, sons and daughters. We seek relationships and experiences that will elevate our status or our mood or our curiosity. People who lack true relationship are seeking attention and will do anything to gain affection, even if it means from the same sex And so we've seen these endless pursuits. We've seen, I've met them at my work when I was at FedEx. I met them in, even in Bible college, I met some. And, and then it leads to all these other new things like gender confusion or, or gender identity disorder. Question for you today, what's your relationship status? There are so many ways to define that. God's word has to define our relationship status today. So with that being said, I know it's a heavier topic than maybe money, even though money is a serious one as well, or the nine to five work week. They're all interlaced in reality because we deal with them on any given day. And so today I'm going to invite Julie Bueller to come. Would you give her a hand? And Ashley Schroeder. And just before you take the stage... Um, firstly, thank you for being courageous enough to say yes. Uh, but I also look to you for the expertise uh, you have. And they are both in the counseling field. of They've done their studies and they are practicing in this field right now. And so I, I'm really grateful that God has given us women who know God's power. They are led by His Holy Spirit, but who are also trained and equipped To, to speak on these different topics that families are faced with and that we are challenged with as a church in how to deal and discuss. So I'm honored that you would be on the panel. And let's go take our place. And as Spencer comes, Spencer's our moderator. If you could put the number on the screen that people can text. If you, we had several questions come in before the fact. And so, um, Spencer, I'm going to trust that you're going to be able to guide us through a lot of the questions. And um, just one thing, um, in particular, some of the rules for the discussion, if you will. If you have a question, please text the number on the screen, your, text your question to the number on the screen. If you're like, I don't have a phone and I can't really do, go find someone who does and ask, can I borrow your phone just to text my question? And then you could delete the question, the text after, if you don't want them to know it was you. And, um, and then again, please, just for the sake of the discussion, if we can leave all responses to those who've been selected on the panel, that would be greatly appreciated. Awesome. So we don't have a ton of time left, so no, I'm going to ask for quick answers from all of you guys. So question one, let's start it right off the bat. Thank you. Um, is it ever okay for a man to work alone with a woman or a woman with a man, especially if they aren't family? Ashley, you can go ahead. Uh, so the Bible doesn't explicitly say that um, to not work with a man or a woman alone, but we're told in 1 Corinthians 6, 8 to flee from sexual immorality. And so when I think of that, I think of getting as far away from the line of sin as possible. Um, so for us in our marriage, um, it was important to talk about boundaries and to establish um, this thing called guardrails. 
And guardrails are there to kind of, if you bump up against it, it warns you that danger is close. But um, it has, but, and that kind of like veers you back on the right path. And so we just set such a high standard that we didn't want to be alone with the opposite sex at all. Because let's face it, that Satan hates um, marriages that reflect um, Jesus' love for his his bride, and he will do anything and take any situation he can to um, tempt you. And so um, I even had a, just quickly, a job opportunity to work one-on-one with a professor, and it did look, it would look really great on a resume, and it would be great experience, but because it it meant a lot of one-on-one time alone with another male, um, and sometimes we spend more time at work than we do at home in a day, um, that I just declined it because to me it wasn't worth putting our marriage in a vulnerable situation okay so i agree with all that but i also understand the need to work okay so i think that another aspect of it is understanding who you are where your weaknesses are and the environment that you would be in and i think sometimes we kind of just look at a situation and say yes or no Um, But I think it's really important, you know, God's word talks about how we must be an example in everything we do, showing integrity and seriousness of thought so that no one can condemn what we're doing. And I think we're challenged by God's word to really reflect on who we are, what the situation would look like to others and how we would feel about it and how God would see the situation. So, uh, you know, it's hard to say a yes or a no for me because I had to work with Pastor Mike. Pastor John is my direct cousin, but Pastor Mike wasn't. But we were in an area where we needed to for ministry. Um, But we would have guardrails, and we would do our best to protect each of our marriages and our relationships as well. So um, it's having those guardrails, talking with your your spouse and seeing how they feel about it. You know, having my husband speak into our situation was more important than me making that decision by myself. So, yeah. I agree with both of them. And uh, I've tried to model, I mean, with uh, at church especially, we have plan to protect. So there are certain things that aren't, we can't even entertain, like, oh, you and me. So if, even if I have to meet with, uh, with someone for counseling, there has to always be someone else present wherever, wherever that meeting is held. And, uh, or in a public environment. Uh, and if I'm meeting with the opposite sex, then I tell my wife exactly where I am. And I don't tell her what the, the subject matter is about in the meeting, but I'll say I'm meeting with so-and-so at this location from this time to this time. And again, it's about guardrails, like you said. By the way, if you want to look up a great resource... We did it with our youth and young adults about a year and a half or two years ago. Guardrails by Andy Stanley. Um, it has a great chapter on this specific topic of, uh, of just building those guardrails or margins to protect you. Cool. Let's, we can start with you and go back that way and start with uh, the next question. All right. Sex is great, but am I playing God if we use some sort of contraception especially when infertility is so common? I defer the question to... uh, (laughs) Well, it's hard to say uh, for sure. When I look at God's word, I mean, they just had baby after baby, it seems like. 
And so, but I don't even know if contraception existed back then. Uh, it did. So I'm going to pass the mic to Pastor Julie to give us more insight. But I would say in a husband and wife relationship that if you both mutually come to a decision, um, as long as you're not voiding God's word, then uh, I would say whatever form of contraception, then it's between a husband and a wife. And I'm going to hand the mic over before I get myself into hot water. Well, that's basically it. The only time, like I, I researched this last night after I got these questions. Um, there was one time in Genesis, and I know if, you're, if this is your question, you want more, go to Genesis chapter um, 38. And that's the story of Judah's sons and Tamar. And so Tamar married one of Judas's sons, a Judah's sons, and he died before having children. So the law says that the next son was supposed to impregnate the wife, his sister-in-law, and still the inheritance is passed down. Well, what he did was evil. And what he did was practice the act, but before semen could be given to the woman, he withdrew. I know it sounds kind of gross. I'm sorry, guys. But this is the reality of it. And so God didn't like what he did because of his heart. He was being deceptive. It was all about him and his selfish needs. It wasn't about God and the law that he entailed. So that was the only time that I really found where, you know, contraceptives, it's different than what we see today came about. And I know that God's word says be fruitful and multiply and children are God's blessing to us. But then like Pastor Pastor John has said, it's really about the relationship. It's about the husband and wife. It's about what you guys decide in your relationship. I'll tell you, when we first got married, it was assumed I came from a background where it was assumed that you would go on the pill. We didn't really think about it. And it didn't really involve my husband in that decision prior to us getting married. And it was something that I always regretted. Because I think that in every decision, you have the opportunity to work together. And so we, we now do our own thing. Um, but we agreed upon it. And that, that's the important thing, is agreeing upon what isn't good for your marriage. And seeking God's counsel and wisdom in his word. So I'm not going to say contraceptive is good or bad. Um, it's your heart and how you use them and your relationship with your spouse. And I'll just add quickly to that, that um, if it's God's will that you have a baby right then in that time and you're using contraception, he's more than capable of working around it. I've seen it done. Um, <laughs> and um, I would also just say, do your research in the different contraceptions because some of them do work by preventing the egg from being uh, fertilized, and then some of them do work by um, actually aborting the fertilized egg. So just um, as a husband and wife, just do your research on your contraception before you pick And just to be a testimony to what Ashley just said, my mom told me after I was old enough to understand that she was using an IUD, intrauterine device, which I believe discards the egg after it's fertilized, and here I am today. So I'm a winner in every Praise sense the of the Lord. word. All right, let's go to our next question. How young is too young to be married? Oh, okay. <laughs> so um, I don't think that there is um, an, like a numerical number is the appropriate way to answer this question. But I did in preparing for this as well. Um, 
put some questions to consider when you're actually thinking about marriage. Um, and one of them would be, are you following God? Have you spent time alone with him? Um, do you know who you are in him? Do you know his direction for your life? And this one's really important. Do you know your core values as a person that if you want to marry someone um, and they don't agree with that, like, are you so set in your core values that um, you won't go with it? And then um, the second one would be, does, this, does the person that you're with respect your core values? Because if they ever ask you to compromise, then that's a red flag. And um, I would say no. And then another one would be, um, are you healthy? And I mean in the sense of, like, if there's healing to take place from your past, are you working on that? Are you allowing God to work out on that? I know that I had to heal from a lot of things before um, God actually brought Spencer into my life. Um, and then directed us towards marriage. And then the last one would be, have you allowed to speak? Have you allowed wise counsel to speak into your relationship? Have you invited them into it? Are they involved in your next steps? Um, and then if you're following God and you're walking step by step with him, uh, you'll know when the appropriate time is. Agree. But you can't get married before 16 <laughs> in this province. <laughs> consent before 16 and 18 you need to be um but here's the thing i think ashley hit it hit it on and one thing i've always told youth and young adults is figure out who you are as an individual in god first before you become one with someone because you know what marriage is about bringing everything you've got and if you don't know who you are you you kind of lose out on the blessing of marriage so i guess one of the things is First and foremost, you know, finish school. I know it sounds weird, but finish what you need to do as an individual first. Build towards what God has set. One thing that, you know, for Trevor and I, we knew what God had put in our heart. We knew our calling in God, and we didn't want to settle for just anyone. And I'm thankful for Trevor, because I say it almost every day. I was like, God had a good plan when I waited for his plan. So we got married, and I was like, 28 going 29 you know so don't count um but you know it was a blessing i know other people that have gotten married much younger and they're like what do you think and i was like you've got a lot of work ahead of you because you haven't spent that time but i don't think it's a curse i think it can be a blessing as well but it's about the individual striving for who they are in god before they're in relationship with someone else and i just want to quickly add to what they've already said is um in terms of adolescence or the age range of adolescence, I mean, it used to be that at 12 years old for, for the Jewish boys, you have your bar mitzvah and then you go to work and you're considered a man. My dad told me the same thing that he goes, when I reached 12 years old, my, he goes, my dad told me, go get a job now. And he would do that. But the age of adolescence throughout the years has actually shifted and where it used to be 12 to 15 then it was 18 to 21. What we're seeing is it's almost 27 to 32 or around there it feels like. And that's why we have a lot of uh, early 30-somethings that are, are still looking to get married. And it's nothing bad. But then when someone who is 20 or 21 gets married, we go, oh, that, that's really young now. Because we've seen this shift happen in, over the last 20 or 30 years where it's become later and later. So I would, I, yes, Age of adolescence has shifted, uh, but maturity and again God's plan. I think those are what is God leading you to do. Um, do you know who you are, 
and are you ready now to join your life to because you're going to grow from that point forward no one sorry quick, one quick thing. no we have to move on sorry <laughs> next question um julia i'm gonna have just you answer this question why should i get married when the ceremonies we have today weren't even in the bible we've already question. consummated the marriage okay i love this question i'm glad i got it <laughs> okay so there were marriages in the bible though jesus's first miracle happened at the wedding so i understand where this question is coming from but here's the thing is it really consummation or is it just sex okay in bible times there was a contract you know when jacob got married he had a contract with the bride's um father and he worked for her for seven years and he had a dowry and he, he, he made a commitment before consummation. And then that was step one. And then once that was done, they set the date, they were going to get married. And this is the odd thing. I know it doesn't happen today. I'm thankful for it, but they would consummate the marriage and everyone would be outside. And then they would spend seven days of celebration. Okay. So it was kind of like an intimate commitment before saying, I'm going to commit to your daughter. If you give your blessing. And it was a very serious thing that was done. And, and intimate families were involved in this. And then it was between husband and wife. And then it was for everyone else to celebrate this union. So I guess the question here, I understand, but I guess we've got to ask, where is the heart of consummation? Yeah. And so consummation looks different in biblical standards than what we say. Right. So ask yourself, do I have the parent's blessing? Or are they just going along with it because that's what our culture does? And I think God blesses us when we involve our parents in our relationship and blesses our ministry and our marriage. Awesome. Awesome. Pastor John, I'm going to ask you to answer this next question. There is a wealth of marriage advice slash wisdom found in the relationship of Christ and his church in scripture. How can this beauty picture be exemplified in a marriage relationship? How can both husbands and wives embrace and live in the light of this example? Practically, what does this look like? I'll just answer it from a practical standpoint then. It's constant laying down your life one for the other. Uh, Putting your spouse's needs before your own. And it's hard. I'll be the first to admit it because we tend to always want what we want first. But... It's the constant reminder that I need to lay down my, myself for my wife and vice versa. And in so doing, I'm leading my family that way as the husband, as Christ loved, loves his church and he laid his life down for her. So I do for my wife and our family. And uh, that's the beautiful picture in a practical sense. It's like... We have our newborn now, and I could easily say, I have to preach tomorrow morning. I'm not going to wake up at all uh, because I need my rest. No, I was up at least two times, and I asked her in the morning, was the baby up two times, three times? She's like, no, two times. So I think I'm, I was awake for some of them or most <laughs> of them. Um, but I, I'm trying. I'm putting the effort because I could easily say, well, what I have to do is more important I'm trying to be there for her. I got her the, the burp cloth at 2.30 in the morning. And that is, for me, putting my wife's needs before my own. Because I could easily say I don't have to do it. So in a practical sense, that's just one real example that happened a short while ago. 
Awesome. And Ashley, I'll have you answer our last question. Um, what place do intersex people and transgendered people have in the family of God? And why do so many evangelical leaders think there shouldn't, they shouldn't have their own washroom? Okay, this is a loaded question, and I'm going to uh, break it down. So first, um, there's a big difference between intersex and transgender. So intersex is, I guess, a more uh, updated term for hermaphrodite. So basically, um, someone's inside and hormonal structure is based off of being a man or a woman, but their genitals are ambiguous, so they neither have a penis or a vagina. It's whatever. So if they identify as a child, what, so for what place do they have in the church? And I'll just say this because I wasn't sure if this meant what place do they have in like coming to church or being a child of God. So um, both of those scenarios come to church and we'll love you. Um, but for the intersex, I would say, um, Oh, yes. Sorry. Um, that come, come to church if they identify as a child of God, um, and inside they're a man and they have ambiguous genitals and they're attracted to women and, um, then come to church and we'll pray for healing because God is the healer and, um, he can heal your body parts. Um, so when it comes to transgender, that's a bit different in the sense that they have, um, a penis or a vagina, but they feel that the gender that they were created to be is not what they feel inside. And so they're struggling with their feelings. And so, again, this is kind of a two-part answer in the sense that if you identify as a child of God, but you're struggling with your gender. So if you're a man and you identify as a child of God and you're struggling with feeling like maybe you're a woman... Um, then you're facing temptation to believe a lie about yourself. And in that sense, like someone who maybe be tempted with lusters, struggling um, with lustful thoughts, um, talk to your pastor, seek accountability, and um, work through that stuff. And, and the big difference here is that they're not pursuing that lifestyle. They just have those thoughts because we, we all have thoughts and um, you are a person who has thoughts, but that doesn't mean that you are your thoughts. And so the other one, unfortunately, is that if you have decided to not, as Pastor John was saying, we have a flesh and we have a spirit. So if you have not decided to or made the choice to crucify your um, flesh and you're pursuing your feelings um, and believe the lie that you were made wrong and that somehow God has... um, made a a mess in you, then, um, you're not believing God at his word. And there's not, um, really place for unbelief, um, of God's word in his family. But I need to say that I have, um, I feel really sad for these individuals who struggle with this because Satan wants you to be confused about who God created you to be. And if he can get you to believe the lie that somehow God has shortchanged you, then um, you believe that bait, you take that bait, and then it manifests, and then you end up living a life separated from God and a life of sin. And so um, I would say that (laughs) invite them to church, bring them to church, because they need to know God's love, and they need to be rectified in... um, 
in God's love and invite them so that they can have an encounter with Jesus and be um, transformed and renewed and let him renew their mind and their heart and correct um, that spot of relationship that they're trying to fulfill in inappropriate ways. Do you want to answer the second part? Can I answer the second part? Yeah, you can. I was just going to say that's a big topic, uh, <laughs> big question to answer, but thank you, Ashley, for that. And uh, to answer the last part, what, can you re- read it again? I can't. Why do so many evangelical leaders think that they shouldn't have their own washroom? Um, like myself as a pastor have my own washroom no No. (laughs) um well here's the thing we have in our when we go back to our building a universal or family washroom if you call it by all means they can use that if if they struggle but the way i i look at it and um just i was speaking with my mortgage broker who's not a believer and he was just actually he started the hot topic on on transgender and bathrooms and He's like, so you're telling me that if I say I'm just, I'm a woman or identify, he goes, I can walk into the woman's bathroom and hang around with all the ladies in the locker room at the gym. Just, and, I'll, and I was, I didn't have an answer for him, but I said, that's where society is, is leading because, and then he said, where do, you, where do you draw the line? Or where does it stop? I said, I don't have an answer for you. Uh, be, but but society is going down this path where you're going to make an exception here, an exception there, and an exception there. And before that, anyone could do anything they want, and it doesn't matter anymore. Because inside, this is how they feel. And I think that's the danger. Um, a lot of the transgender, uh, the difficulty is it's an internal struggle. It's an internal battle. And they need... The, the, the mind of Christ to bring the freedom because this is the number one playing ground for the devil. This is his playground. He cannot read your thoughts, but he can definitely place thoughts there. And that's why we have fear and feelings of doubt and anxiety. And is it true? And I just take it right back to the garden in Genesis. And then I'm done with my answer. Is the serpent says to Eve... Did God really say that you cannot eat the fruit from the tree? So he didn't come with a a completely false statement. He took the truth of what God really told Adam and Eve, and he perverts it or he twists it just enough so that now we doubt, well, did did God really say? And then we end up in in a whole hot mess of confusion. So I'll stop there for that. So, we, um, because of time and probably, I don't know if any other questions came in. Um, By the way, this panel is not to be a a be-all, end-all to the discussion. Um, It's actually a conversation starter for the church. And what I encourage you to do every single week as we've closed these services is consider what God's Word says. Go home. Read it for yourself. Dig and search the scriptures and have conversation around the the dinner table, the lunch table with your family. Talk about what we're learning. And here's the reality. If we as the church refuse to have these kinds of conversations, the world is already having them and imposing their belief on what it should be and what the definition of marriage is or, or, or all of these other things. 
that we've talked about. So as the church, we need to be able to start talking about these and not just talking about it for the sake of saying, do you agree with that or do you disagree? But what does the Bible say on those things? Because that is always our standard. And so with that, I I just want to close. I know it's a heavy topic. I know it's not like a, yay, this was a great word from, uh, you know, a great sermon. Um, But these are conversation starters. So as we leave today... Know that God's love reaches to the highest heavens and it is to the lowest valleys. And it's for every single person. God's love has been made available. And so we will love as a church, with God's help, we will love every single person that walks through our doors. But we will never tolerate sin. I don't care who walks through the doors. Because God's word says that sin separates us from him. So with that, I want to pray. I'll invite you to stand to your feet. And um, again, conversation starter. Next week, we're going to talk about sanctification, which is the, the fact that as believers we are set apart, and how to navigate the narrow road. Because there's a broad road that leads to destruction, the Bible says, but there's the narrow road that leads to life. And Jesus is the gate on that narrow road as well. So um, next week, navigating the narrow road. How do we... Live in this difficult world, but still be true to who we are as believers. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you today that we've had the hard discussion. This is like a family sitting around the dinner table and having a hard discussion. But God, I thank you that as we dig through your word, you had a lot to say and you still have a lot to tell us about society, about life, about how, Lord, you actually knit us together. Your word says that you know every single detail about our lives. And so God, today, I think the best thing we could do is just surrender it all to you afresh and anew and say, God, you made me. And if I'm broken, I come back to the one who put me together in the first place. And so, Father, I thank you that we can find healing. We can be restored to wholeness again if we've been uh, broken into a million pieces. And Father, today I pray that as we leave this place, we won't just view today as an awkward conversation in church. But God, we would say uh, there's a lot of things that we've not even touched on as a church that we've been silent about for way too long. But the world has been quick, quick to tell us their opinion and their view on these specific topics. So God, I thank you that we base our position out of your word. Thank you for giving us a solid and firm foundation that has not changed, but has stayed true and has stood the test of time. God, I thank you for your love for each one of us and how it pursues and chases us down every single day. And Lord, I pray as we go into our week that we would find a way to be the love of God to this world, to be the salt and the light, that we might be used by you in exciting ways, in new ways, and even in some daunting and unfamiliar ways. God, I pray that you would go before us in this week, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, accompany us on our way. In Jesus' name, amen. Teachers, if you Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westernroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.